Hi there. Welcome to another edition of Making Money. I'm Gord Whitehead, along with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager, as we continue our series on energy. Fossil fuels, renewables, all different forms of renewables. Ron, we've uh, we've entered into a, well, this is a cauldron, if you will, almost like a witch's brew. But we want to talk about some of the opportunities that may exist here now for investors. And again, I, I just want to note, Ron is off the continent. We are recording these shows, and uh, we, we sometimes have a little bit of phone noise. We apologize for that. We do our best to clean it up. But uh, hopefully we'll be back together on the same roof before too much longer. But let's talk about renewable energy investment implications for investors, Ron. Now, the renewable implications, as we've repeated on uh, previous shows, and there's three previous shows out there on uh, energy. So if you're looking at our two previous shows out there on, on what we're doing, and this is going to be a five-part series, what we want to talk about today is the implications for uh, the things that we mentioned on the previous two shows, the implications for you today, because the transformation as uh, the facts we presented show will take much longer than anticipated. And this could mean that companies in the renewable energy space might not have the robust growth profile everybody expects, and this would generally cause their share prices to experience more volatility and eventually weaken because the shorter period of time you can compress earnings into, the faster the share price goes up. And so when you take those expectations and you drag them out for maybe decades, uh, people look at these investments and say, yeah, these companies uh, have a possibility of future growth, but it's not certainly going to be as strong as we expected. And when you look at the amount of trading these days done by algorithms and uh, computer-driven programming. These guys, frankly, if someone comes out and says, our growth isn't what we expected, even over a quarter or two, often these shares get dumped on. And when you come out and the realization is that, you know, this growth might extend, but it might take decades to fulfill, uh, there's a chance that many of these uh, companies that trade in the sector, especially in the renewable sector, uh, could experience a lot of volatility when it finally dawns in everybody that this just can't happen as fast as they thought. So that volatility, and of course, that could cause, cause some weakening in share prices and stuff. So you you want to approach it with caution. You want to use some logic here. And and then I guess the the caveat to that is is the other side of the equation is that oil and gas stocks in this set they're not going to disappear either. Yeah, they frankly we probably had their best days behind them. And uh, there will be certainly some trading opportunities because, as, especially with the amount of oil we still get from the Middle East, uh, if they go to war or there's political tension there and oil is cut off or embargoes, uh, frankly, there's still going to be good trading opportunities. But, you know, the really big days of oil going to the moon because there was no alternative are probably behind it. But that doesn't mean that oil and gas prices and stocks are going to disappear as fast as everybody expects. And so there is still some opportunity in that sector, and we'll be getting into that more on our next show. Okay, so as we point out here, so higher-priced oil will eventually make renewables look more competitive, right? Absolutely. If you take a look at the amount of oil that we've discovered, it's between 1.5 and 2 trillion barrels of oil. 
and we consume about 100 million barrels of oil a day. Uh, that means that even if we don't find any more black gold, that we've got enough energy to power us along for the next 55 years, which is certainly enough time for us to make the transition to renewables. Uh, the price risk in the future is going to be less about supply because we have lots of it, but rather about the cost of extraction. So, you know, we've got 57 years worth of reserves, but as they say in the industry, a lot of the low-hanging fruit has already been picked. So we have areas that we can still are abundant, you know, shale, oil sands, deep water, but they are definitely more expensive. And as hydrocarbon prices rise, it increases the incentive for consumers to switch to renewable power sources as their price comes down. So long term, this is great news for renewables. So renewables, there is a big advantage here as higher energy costs, because we have to go to more expensive sources, just make renewables that much more competitive. Okay, we touched on lithium uh, when we were talking about battery storage. This is one area you're a little bit a little bit shy on, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people use lithium as a proxy for the renewable economy, and demand for lithium is expected to grow by leaps and bounds over the next decade. And this has left investors really scratching their collective heads as to why, with all the great news coming out, that lithium stocks have been tanking in price. And the answer really is supply growth. Recent estimates are that by 2025, Chile, Argentina, and Australia alone, we're just talking about those three countries, could produce enough extra lithium to increase the world supply by 130%. This extra product is expected to swamp world demand growth and cause prices to fall by as much as 50% over the next few years. So no matter how hot the trend uh, with all this extra production coming on over the next few years, it could mean that lithium prices uh, even get cheaper. And, of course, eventually that's great news because it brings down the cost of batteries, which makes them more competitive. But over the short term, lithium could be a tough place to be. Okay, and as we, you know, if, if you're not aware, I, I think most people are, lithium is basically the main ingredient in any kind of battery, whether it's a little double A that you put in your pen flashlight or your lithium battery in your cell phone or your computer. And, and of course, the power, you know, power tools and lithium that powers batteries in electric vehicles. So, interesting part of the component there. The world went from eight track to CD to digital music. Uh, what's, what's the analogy you're looking at there? Well, here again, and we're, uh, I'm speculating a little bit here. So, uh, I, I'm personally thinking that electric cars can be looked at, uh, kind of like CD technology as sort of a, a transitional or, or transitory technology. Um, so, you know, I think it's going to have its place for a while, but I, I certainly think that hydrogen, uh, could end up being the, the mainstream fuel. Now, hydrogen fuel cells, where you put hydrogen in a cell and you convert electricity, uh, they've been the uh, future of fuel for the last 20 years, and I think they're going to be the future for the next 20 years because they just don't have the technology to make fuel cells that efficient or that big, especially for smaller vehicles. But if you take a look at the, if you could take hydrogen gas and mix it with a liquid so that it could be transported and stored like gasoline, that would enable them to use a retrofit, the $40 trillion worth of hydrocarbon distribution system infrastructure 
that already exists. It would also allow them to greatly reduce the cost of a vehicle. Uh, a battery pack is about $10,000 for an electric car. The cost of a gas-powered internal combustion engine is about $3,000, but the cost of a hydrogen engine that would burn hydrogen is about $1,500. And the energy and car manufacturing industry would prefer hydrogen vehicles since hydrogen stores energy. It can also displace batteries. If you can take that energy, put it in hydrogen, you don't need a battery because here again, you can store it in a tank and just put it directly into a car. And if you get a chance to go to Macro Voices, there was an interview by Jeff Christensen, or Christian, uh, about a month, month and a half ago. And he talks about the various options going forward over the next uh, 30 years in renewable uh, ways to power vehicles. And frankly, some of his ideas are very, very compelling and really worth a listen. And, you know, I think back to my old high school days in the chem lab. I mean, hydrogen's a really volatile substance. It packs a real punch when it's ignited. So as you say, if they could mix it somehow with a liquid that would resemble, and I put this in air quotations, gasoline, that could be a huge breakthrough for the future, no doubt about it. Now, yeah, and there's certainly a lot of research going on in that area. So all I'm saying is that this is just one idea. There's others. And frankly, with the cost of lithium and mining and all the other things uh, happening, uh, you can probably expect that uh, lithium and that technology is the, the best technology we have right now. But I wouldn't expect it to be more than a transitory technology, just like between a tape and an 8-track and a CD and digital that the CD and the 8-track were just sort of transitory technologies until we found something better. Okay, so let's take a look, at, and we've, we've covered a little, we've talked a little bit about battery storage, but there's some statistics that you've come here to, to explain, that like, you know, what's sort of the future view of battery storage? Well, I think that the demand over the next five years is not going to be in pure electric cars because they still have range issues, and there's a, a chronic shortage of charging stations that, uh, frankly, uh, we're three to five years away from uh, fixing. And I think demand is going to be in hybrids because we're seeing in Europe that they're saying that not all cars have to be pure electric. They can be hybrid. And a hybrid car is a combination of an internal combustion engine and a battery. And if you look at electric cars, you go in to uh, talk to a car dealer. If they have an electric car, unless it's a Tesla, uh, that thing is in the farthest corner collecting dust. Uh, whereas Toyota, which is clearly the leader in hybrid uh, vehicles that are part electric and part battery, they have lineups to buy their Prius and their RAV4 and many of these other hybrid vehicles. So if you're looking at what is going to transition us into uh, an all-electric future, well, I think it's already here, and uh, Toyota is certainly the leader in hybrid technology. Okay, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of these other things here. Like, uh, you know, Tesla, we talk about in, in the electric car, uh, they've they've had their issues. Uh, when they first came on the market, everybody was excited about them. I know a couple of people that have them. They're fabulous vehicles. They're incredibly fast. Then they, then they wanted to introduce that lesser model. And then they, you know, Elon Musk ramped up his production. But the numbers haven't really gone in his favor so far, I don't think, have they? Well, here again, and he's producing, he's, I think he's next year is going to be able to produce 
half a million cars. And you've got to give the guy credit because nobody thought he would be able to get as far as he has. But if you take a look at the company, uh, they've been burning cash for years. And, you know, we still are wait and see to see whether he can turn the corner and actually be able to make cars at the production levels he's currently at that are profitable. And certainly you have other companies, especially right now, you look at some of the major names like General Motors, Audi, Volkswagen, uh, they're hot on his heels, Porsche coming out with new vehicles that are electric or hybrid that are going to be very, very competitive where he didn't have that competition in the past. Okay, so it, it, and tied into this then, is, and, and we've touched on this, and it's something that, you know, you talk about the shortage of charging stations. Uh, let's say you buy, even if you, you know, you buy your own electric car, you got to charge it in, at home. And I've seen stories about that, you know, if you had a typical block in an urban center, if you had four people plugging in their electric cars, uh, you know, the, the load on the grid would would have implications on people turning on the lights in the kitchen or using their electric range. So this is a really complex issue here. We're, we're looking at electrical con- consumption definitely going up as more electric cars plug in. And certainly electrical demand is expected to grow by 50% over the next 25 years. That's a couple of percent a year. But uh, I think the real growth is going to come from uh, in this e-green tech revolution, whatever you call it, is going to come from, and the eventual winners are going to be from guys that produce electricity. So if you want to play in this sector, names like Fortis, Amera, Canadian Utilities, all the Canadian big names are very pedestrian companies, but they have rewarded investors for decades with steady, consistent growth. And as more and more people plug in their vehicles and use more and more electricity, I think these are going to be some very conservative ways to play that trend. And often those companies pay a pretty attractive dividend if you want to sit and wait for a while for all this to unfold, right? Yeah, these kind of companies right now have yields between 35 and 5%, which is pretty good. Okay, so there we go. That's part three of our energy shows. Ron mentioned we're going we're gonna to break this into five different shows because it's such a broad area. And what we want to go into next, Ron, is, is, the, is the pros and cons of whether you should be bearish or bullish on this. Uh, and I know you have some mixed thoughts on that, so we'll, we'll take a look at the research that you've done. Ron spent a lot of time reading on this, folks, so we hope you appreciate the information you're getting. If you have a question about it that maybe is a little of a gray area for you, don't forget you can send us an inquiry to our website, letsmakemoney.ca. It'll come directly to Ron and myself, or you can reach us through cfcw.com, their website as well. The show is called Making Money. We're back next week to continue our discussion on energy on behalf of of the financial coach Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for joining us. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.